Joining me in this morning's broadcast is Dr. Chris Van Tallican. Now, just to cue you in, a documentary called What Are We Feeding Our Kids aired on the 24th of September at 8 p.m. on Sony BBC Earth. It got rave reviews and now the repeat is on the 4th of October at 8 p.m. And uh, we're pleased to have Dr. Chris Van Tallican here. Now, the subject is obesity observed in children nowadays and the diet that should be followed. And over the course of the next 20 minutes, you'll find out more and more about that. How are you doing, uh, Chris? And I hope the family and you are safe and healthy and all vaccines have been taken. My kids have had COVID, which I'm pleased about. They're four and one. So they were safe and they are now immunized because they probably aren't going to get a vaccine for a few years. I'm double jabbed and I've had it. So I'm fully, fully get set, set to go. Well, in normal circumstances, I would be say, I would be saying raring to go, but you know, it would be inappropriate during a pandemic to say that. Your month-long experiment of eating ultra-processed food. You're a brave man, <laughs> but what were you hoping to achieve? Well, so ultra-processed food is, is, is like a formal scientific category. It's not just an intuitive definition. So this was a proposal that came out of Brazil in 2010, and it's now very widely recognized. And these are, really, we can think of them as any food in a packet with an ingredient that you don't have in your kitchen. So this is most supermarket bread. It's almost any food with a health claim. You know, all the bars, most uh, cereals. And in the UK, this is a huge proportion of our diet. We only, only the Americans eat more than, than the United Kingdom. We have, uh, we are soaked in this stuff. And a lot of it is sold to us with health claims as being, being good for us. So when you say I'm a brave man, actually, I was eating a diet that 20% of the population of Britain eat every day for their entire lives. Most teenagers eat 70 to 80%. Most children in the UK start their lives on 100% ultra-processed food because infant formula is a kind of ultra-processed food. Wow. So that really widens the ambit, doesn't it? <laughs> the documentary, What Are We Feeding Our Kids? What's it about in a nutshell? So I set out, I'm a physician in the UK and I'm, I'm a global health doctor. So I've worked in low-income countries around the world and I do a lot of work with the World Health Organization, UNICEF on infant feeding. And I was interested in making a program because we have enormous rates of childhood obesity in the UK. What One in three children leaving primary school are living with obesity. And our press, and I don't know if this is the case in India, I suspect it is, our press presents this as a problem of uh, moral identity. You are fat, you are obese. And so the program really wanted to say that obesity is a disease and that it's a disease caused by a single problem, ultra-processed food. And the data now very, very robustly support that. We're really, really sure that the childhood obesity pandemic is not to do with you know, complex sociological reasons. It's not to do with genetics. It's not to do with a lack of moral fiber or screen time or lack of exercise. It is simply to do with the growth of the enormous companies, uh, about 10 of them, that sell this ultra-processed food. So, so the program wanted to, to change that philosophical understanding of obesity. It's not just lazy people. It is a disease and it's a bit like lung cancer. It's caused by one thing. Lung cancer is caused by tobacco products. Obesity is caused by ultra-processed food. Now, when you say children, Dr. Van Tallican, what age group are we talking about? From what age to what age? So many children in the UK are born 
with overweight or obesity because they're born to parents. We, we have had now in the UK, we, we lost our traditional diet many, many decades ago. And, you know, re really our diet is now a corporate diet. It's a diet where all our information comes from companies. So we've had multiple generations of very high levels of obesity. Children are born living with overweight. They spend their entire childhoods overweight or obese, usually becoming more obese. By the time they're teens, a huge number of them are living with this. And the thing we never say is this is essentially an incurable disease. So there is a view that if only we could sort of somewhere on the horizon over the hill, there's a, there's a sunlit land where we would all be able to lose the weight. But that isn't true because we are so surrounded by the, by the obesogenic environment that drives weight gain. So I'm talking about children from birth through to leaving school, becoming adults. And the, the reason it's a crisis, whatever your politics or whatever you think about the morality, this is an economic crisis because uh, people don't lose the weight and it's going to become the biggest tax burden on all of us is paying for um, our own treatment in our nationalized health service if it stays nationalized. Now, I understand that over a course of a month, you had cameras following you around while you went about the process, the experiment of eating ultra-processed food, seeing the impact that it has on children's developing bodies. One is the brain of it, and one is the body of it. Would you explain to me how it could alter ultra-processed food and consuming it could alter the way the body and the brain works? And then, you know, possibly that could explain the rising uh, global trend of childhood obesity. So uh, the way I would think about this is we are now constructing our own bodies and our children's bodies. And this is happening in India more and more. So we know that in South Asia, it's happening somewhat less than East Asia. But the American diet is spreading around the globe. These, these, the corporations that sell this food are the size of fairly powerful countries. And so there is a, there is a, a, a new colonization of the world that is spreading largely out of America. And so the way this food works is this is we're eating substances we've never encountered before. Preservatives, emulsifiers, stabilizers, humectants, xanthan gum, guar gum, soy lecithin, mono and diglycerides of fatty acids, all these molecules. And the molecules themselves we know are somewhat harmful. Emulsifiers inflame the gut. Preservatives damage the friendly bacteria inside our gut. So the additives are harmful, but the food itself does us harm in, in other ways. Partly, it's very, very soft and, and highly processed. So if you think of those, um, I'm trying to think what would be available. If you think of a supermarket bread, do you, do you, you know, the bread wrapped in plastic, pre-sliced, and how soft it is compared to a traditional bread that you might eat in different cultures around the world have all kinds of different breads. But traditional breads and bre bready products are chewy. Um, and I can, th I can think of all kinds of traditional breads in India that uh, are extremely chewy. You know, you, you bite them, and you have to pull them and you spend a long time chewing them. And that, that's not the case with a supermarket bread. It's soft. And that softness means it's digested very high in the gut. It's digested before it gets to the part of the gut that releases the hormones that say, stop eating. So it's partly you don't get a fullness signal. It's partly the additives damage you. And it's partly then you get all kinds of other strange effects. The flavoring molecules, which are almost universal, create a sort of mismatch of expectation. If you can imagine drinking a diet drink with artificial sweeteners, that's an ultra processed food. And although it's got no calories, when you get sweetness in your mouth, it sends a signal to your body going, prepare for sugar. So you adjust all your hormones, your insulin levels and all kinds of other hormones, get ready to receive calories 
calories in the form of neat sugars. And when those calories don't arrive, it causes, causes terrible problems. So we think this is what drives the insulin resistance of type 2 diabetes. And it's why diet drinks are probably worse than full sugar drinks. So there are all these different ways that these entirely novel foods are harming us. In terms of the brain, they're really addictive. And I think anyone who, this isn't going to be true for everyone. Cigarettes aren't addictive for everyone. Heroin isn't addictive for everyone. But if you are someone who lives with food addiction, I mean, I, I certainly do. I'm obsessed with food. I will go a long way to eat a decent meal. You may recognize in yourself that you, you keep eating even at a point where you are in pain and you're suffering, you know, you, you, you want to stop, but you keep putting it even, even though you, you understand the harms. And so that's what we saw in the program. We scanned my brain and we saw a huge increase in the connections between the back of my brain, which is the part that organizes kind of automatic, repetitive behavior that you don't think about, and the middle bits of my brain, the reward centers that we know drive addictive behavior. And those two bits of the brain became linked as I sort of started just automatically fueling the, the addiction by eating more of the food. Now, this is actually a question that perhaps should be uh, directed to a child psychologist or perhaps a pediatrician. You said you're a physician, but I'm going to take my chances with you. Now, <laughs> just like you, we have two children. We have, you know, they're eight and two, the girls. Luckily for us, uh, you know, my wife is uh, yeah, does the most important job on the planet, which is she's a homemaker. So she's home with the kids and she's able to spend time with them, to mm. coerce them, coax them to eat veggies. But most kids find veggies yeah. and salads boring, which is why when there are both parents are working in India as much as, as in the UK, it's easier yeah. to just hand out ultra processed food and say, yeah. you know, let's be done with your meal. Some fun hacks for parents, maybe stuff that you use that, you know, we can get over this, this ultra processed food crisis. Uh, listen, it's such a great question. And no one has cr quite cracked the code on this. You know, parenting requires time. It requires investment and meals often. So what I do with my kids, because my kids, of course, like, they love junk as much as their kids. I have not forbidden ultra processed food. There are still rubbish cereals. We don't have too much of it in the house. So but when they go to the shops that they're allowed to buy treats, but I let them get a bit hungry. And the meal starts with a big bowl of fruit, and veg, and sometimes there are dips on the table. And so food is for fun is quite important that they don't have to eat a huge apple at the beginning of every meal or at the end of every meal. What they do have to have is they've got to have a little piece, they've got to chew it up, and, and gradually familiar tastes become very bearable. And almost every child, when they're hungry, will chew on a carrot. You know, they'll, but if you leave it to the end of the meal or you allow them to eat the lasagna or the microwaved meal first, they're going to have less enthusiasm for the broccoli at the end of it. So letting them get a little hungry, making it fun. And the other really important bit of advice is don't turn the dinner table into a battlefield. You know, it's, it's okay. Like, you know, we, we can't be perfect. One of the messages of the program, of the book I'm writing, of the, of the I made a podcast about my brother. I, I have an identical twin who lives with obesity and is trying to lose weight. The main message is there's not a huge amount we can all do. This is the structure of the world around us, which is increasingly corporate. And so the, you're, you're actually relatively powerless as a parent. Now, if you're like you, you're educated, you, you, know, you have resources, uh, then you're fine. But for low-income families in the UK, it is almost impossible. The food is, the real food is so much more expensive and unavailable. Now, was this, which is your interest as a, a doctor, a physician, in the effect that ultra-processed food has on children's bodies, a byproduct or a result of you being a parent? Or is it something which happened much before you had your two kids? I'm keen on understanding what got you interested in this in the first place. 
it's a mixture of, you know, I'm a physician and this is all around us. I'm actually an adult infectious diseases doctor, so I don't see many of these children in my practice, but many of my patients have lived with overweight and obesity since they were children. But yeah, it's it's because I had children. And, beca- and because I, partly as soon as I had kids, I started doing investigations of the infant formula industry, who we know have used the pandemic to enormous effect to go to remote communities, especially with great skill in South Asia, um, to go into remote communities and say, look, have some free samples, have some formula, stop breastfeeding. So, and those are the same companies that, you know, they don't just make infant formula, they make all the other ultra processed food that we eat. So as I had children, I was started doing more and more research on that. And then that that led to this program. So yeah, my, I mean, my, my children are not protected by being the children of a doctor, by being middle class, by being protected by, by all the privileges of the, the luck of their birth, just as I was, you know, they are at massively increased risk of ill health through, through diet. Now, one is getting your brain scanned. You did describe briefly at the top that during the course of the documentary, what are we feeding our kids? You know, you got imagery of your back of your brain, the front of it. Did you have anything to to monitor your gut health? You know, I've heard of doctors often inserting, you know, little devices and cameras in their gut and things like that. Yeah. Did you do something as drastic as that? Uh, talk to uh, us no. about that to, to monitor gut health. <laughs> no, we, we didn't. I was being monitored by by very close friends at, at University College in London who I work with. So I didn't really want them sticking cameras inside me. But that probably wouldn't have shown very much. What we did do is we measured my gut hormones after a standard meal. So there's a thousand calorie shake that you drink, and you can then measure what your body does with that shake. You measure how, how hungry you are before, what happens to your hormones, and how hungry you are afterwards. At the end of the month, I had hugely increased hunger hormones before having the standard meal. So I was chronically hungry. I'd put on a lot of weight. I was very, I was in a lot of pain. I was quite ill in a lot of ways. I was very unhappy. I was very anxious. I didn't sleep. So there were all these psychological effects. But what we were able to measure clearly is that my hunger hormone was now constantly high. So I was always hungry. And when I had that standard meal, the thousand calorie shape, my hunger hormone remained high and I never got the fullness signal that previously I had. So we know that this food is engineered in such a way that it drives your body to eat more of it. And that, if you're a food company, designing food that makes people eat more of it over time is, of course, the best way you can you can sell product. Uh, it must interest you, my f- a fascinating country, India. You know, when you were talking about obesity, I was thinking that as, as a third world country, initially, we had, you know, kids being born malnourished because, you know, malnourishment is such a big problem in this country. And now with the advent of of Western chains, food chains, like you said, the whole marketing animal, the Goliath, you're finding obesity in even you know satellite townships in India because you have these chains opening up everywhere. Your thoughts on traditional Indian food? And when you were talking about the breads, I was thinking about our rotis and our naans, oh, you know, which takes so much time actually, which actually yeah. take a lot of time to digest as opposed to the supermarket bread that you go out and get. Yep. So traditional Indian food and your thoughts on, on India, and it must interest you, Dr. Van Talken, that uh, BBC Earth's programs are now available here on Sony BBC Earth. 
Oh, I love it. I mean, so I've worked a bit in India. I've been on holiday a lot in India, India. And I'm really not just saying this. You have the best food in the world. You have such an extraordinary food culture of, especially of vegetarian and vegan food. You know, really South Asia has pioneered that food, which we know is enormously health giving. What, what I would say is I, I think it's not for me to urge anyone in India what to do. There's been quite enough of that over the centuries. But I would strongly, in, in your position as a, as a nation, be rejecting this sort of next wave of colonization. And I think there is this, what you've identified is exactly right, that as countries transition to wealth, they develop obesity, but actually they continue to suffer with malnutrition. So we know that ultra-processed food works synergistically in what we call a syndemic. There's a synergistic pandemic of climate change, obesity, and malnutrition. And as well as driving obesity, this food contains very little real nourishment because it isn't food. Fundamentally, food is about nourishing you. Food is about love. It's about culture. It's about family and history and life. And this isn't. This is about profit, and it's carefully engineered to drive profit. So it has very little nutritional value. And in fact, in Nepal, uh, the first studies have started to find that as obesity is going up, so there is an increase in malnutrition uh, in some villages. So holding on to what the companies are very skillful at doing is going, if you want to, to develop out of poverty, one of the, 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 the ways of branding development is things like rejecting primitive things like breastfeeding or your old primitive vegetarian diets. And that is how those things are branded. There's, there's an aspiration to aspects of, of American life. And in the UK, we look up very much toward America. So, so I, I, um, it would be such a tragedy if, if Indian food culture was lost in the way that we have entirely lost British food culture. British food culture is now corporate ultra-processed and, and a few good Indian restaurants. <laughs> Thanks for throwing that in. There you have it, Dr. Chris Van Talikan. You can catch him in action on the 4th of October, 8 p.m. Indian Standard Time on Sony BBC Earth. It's a wonderful documentary called Why, What Are We Feeding Our Kids? Thanks so much for your time, and I wish for you greater uh, health and prosperity as well as your for your family. Cheers. It was such a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs>